Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, everyone. I'm Meg Teets, and this is sort of awesome. Hello and welcome back, awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 170 of Sorta Awesome. And oh my goodness, you guys, I have to give a quick shout out to the awesomes of Instagram this week. We have been loving hearing your awesomes of the week every Friday morning over there. And it's just so fun to see all of your awesome faces and little peeks into your lives on Instagram. So if you have not yet connected with us over there, we sure would love to have you come and join the fun. So don't forget, we are so easy to find on Instagram. Just look for at Sorta Awesome Show on Instagram. So easy. Come be an awesome at Instagram with us. Follow us over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Well, friends, it is episode 170, and I am just absolutely tickled pink, as they say in the South, or as we say in the South, is Oklahoma City in the South? I'm never sure about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's always up for debate. Anyway, what is not up for debate is how very awesome today's episode is going to be, because I'm joined today by one of my very favorite people on the planet, Knox McCoy. Hi, Knox McCoy. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. We are so thrilled, truly, to have you on Sorta Awesome this week. Y'all know who Knox is. He's the co-creator and co-host of both the podcast with Knox and Jamie. We reference it often around here, as well as the Bible Binge podcast. And honestly, the whole podcast media group, they are all just some of our very favorite, most awesome people. Knox, Jamie Golden, Aaron Moon, we love the whole team so much. So this is such a treat to have Knox here with us today. So not only is Knox a podcasting friend and colleague, he's now a big time published author. <laughs> Finally, right, Knox? <laughs> it feels like it's been forever. Yes, that's exactly right. It's been a long walk, but we're finally here. Your first book is getting ready to come out this month. In fact, in just a few days after this episode drops is the big release day. Your first book, The Wondering Years, How Pop Culture Helped Me Answer Life's Biggest Questions. It's coming out November 13th. You were kind enough to send me an advanced copy in Knox. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. I know you're just saying that because I'm here, but I, I do hope like on a deep subconscious level, you do feel that too. I absolutely do. It's so <laughs> great. It is definitely, you guys need to go ahead. If you haven't ordered it, get your pre-order in, order it. It's fantastic as a treat for yourself, but it would also be a great gift, honestly, this holiday season for people in your lives who also kind of like to geek out about all things pop culture. But Listen, we're going to talk about the book later in the show. We're also going to talk about some of your first favorite things in pop culture, some of mine, some of the things that came along early in our lives and we have become in terms of our loves in pop culture. We're going to get to all of that in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. This is the moment in the show where we take just a few minutes to talk about the movies or the books or the TV shows or the products, whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome this week. Knox, I know this is something that you guys do every week as green lights. You also have your red lights over on the podcast. So <laughs> I know this might have been a little bit of a stretch. I know what it's like to have to come up with something awesome and new every week. 
<laughs> no, listen, like there's so much stuff that we're sorting through that I'm like, I got to find a place to talk about that. So this is perfect. This is a great perfect. opportunity for okay, that. I can't wait to hear what you brought. This is something that Jamie actually recommended, but I've been looking for it. She's just a lot smarter about finding things on the internet than I am. And it's a TV show and it's British in nature, which normally I don't like that much. Okay, but, there, but let's hear it. Okay, okay. So you, we're right there together. So it's That's called right. Bodyguard and it's on oh, Netflix. I have not watched it, but I have been hearing the buzz about this for sure. Okay. It's the guy who played Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. He is, you're not going to believe this, a bodyguard. I know, but just stay with me. <laughs> but he's signed to a government official, an older lady, and I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it. One of my complaints on, you know, that we talk about on the podcast is how many shows nowadays, they take like six years to get going. It's like, just make it, you know, six years into the show and then you really like it. And I want you to be good from the first episode. And the first episode of the show is so tense and you don't know what's going to happen. And I loved it. So I'm a big fan of that. Okay. I have been hearing so many people say it's really good. Now, a long running joke and communal understanding for the awesomes is that I don't like a lot of British TV because I have what I have self-diagnosed as hillbilly ears. Okay. No, I do as well. I'm finding that out in this moment (laughs) because there were at least five moments in the first episode where I was like, I just need a subtitle super quick. I don't know. (laughs) I literally have to watch most British TV with the subtitles on. I'm like, I actually do speak English, but (laughs) these hillbilly ears can't process what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> and like, look, and he does this, like the guy, Rob Stark, I think his name's Richard Madden. He does, well, and I guess they all do this. They do this thing where like a woman in authority, they call her mum. And so it's like, I feel like they're trying to create some sexual tension, but it does diffuse it for me on a personal level when he's calling her mum. <laughs> so that almost feels hillbilly-ish to an extent. You know what I'm saying? So I, I don't totally know. I'm a little bit at home, but I didn't understand what they were saying. So I totally get it. Okay. Well. We are about to finish whatever the latest season of Daredevil is. We're about to wrap that up, my husband and I. And so I know we're going to be looking for our next binge watch. So there you go. on our list for sure. Well, as it just so happens, I also have a Netflix awesome of the week. So yay, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page this week. So mine is the new series that just came out last month, actually, called uh, Salt Acid Fat Heat on Netflix. Have you guys checked this out yet? I haven't checked it out yet, but explain it to me. Like explain it to me like I'm an idiot. Like give me the pitch for it. (laughs) Okay. So the host is a woman named Samin Nasrat. She is a chef. She's an Iranian American chef who grew up in California. Actually, this Netflix series is an adaptation of a cookbook that she wrote that has won tons of awards. The cookbook is the same name, Salt, Acid, Fat, Heat. Her concept is that all good food comes down to those four elements, salt, acid, fat, heat. And so she takes you on these journeys. I would say, if I was trying to describe this show, I would say that it's kind of part instructional cooking show. Like actually, as you're watching and she is interviewing and working with all these international renowned chefs and food artisans, you kind of pick up some techniques along the way. Okay. It's part travel show. I mean, you go from Italy to Mexico to Japan. So you get, you know, this beautiful, I mean, it is shot gorgeously all of these places around the world. And it's also kind of just like a study in anthropology. It's really like a love story about food and also humanity, just people and okay this sounds like the moby dick of cooking shows on netflix that you're giving me right now that's crazy (laughs) it's beautiful it's so beautiful it is genuinely widely universal in that sense a huge part of why i've loved it again it's gorgeous and it will make you be like i need to get into the kitchen and make some real food right now but also samin the host and again she's the author of this book oh she is just so infectious and like enthusiastic and so approachable and gorgeous, but like in a really real way, like not in a food network TV kind of way. You know what I mean? Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Not a glossy kind of way and an accessible glossiness. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So again, she's really the heart and soul of the show. She takes you into all these different kitchens. You find out like how real true soy sauce is made in Japan, like the ancient customs and traditions behind it how like real olive oil is made in 
Italy. I mean, it's just stunning. If you need to, first of all, get in the mood for a healthy appetite for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Okay. I'm already there. Done. Got there. Yeah. If so, it's a great watch. Also, if you just want like something comforting, I've watched it through twice just to kind of have on in the background. It's like, if you need a dose of like goodness and truth and beauty in our world today, this is a great- I need that so much. Yeah, I know. You know, I feel like I'm getting- like I'm not quite there, but I'm approaching the stage of life where I just watch like cooking shows. And for me, that feels like not something I can just dabble in. It right. feels like if I watch it, I'm going to have to feel like I have to turn into a chef and I won't, but I'll try, you know, because <laughs> yes. we've watched Nailed It on Netflix oh, with yes. my kid. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we love it. But I like the premises. They're terrible at making stuff yeah. because like it doesn't put anything right. on me. Yes. But I do feel that impulse. To be like I could make a terrible looking emoji cake. I could totally do that. <laughs> Well, this is one of those, I would say like a corollary would be, it's like looking through like a gorgeous coffee table book Oh, to where you're just appreciating the art and the soul behind everything. But also you're like, I mean, these are professional chefs. So (laughs) what they're creating is gorgeous and perfect. And I don't know. It's just, it's really. I like watching people do something they're great at. I've gotten to really appreciate that at this point in my life. So I'm going to check that out. You will love it. So. Okay, you guys, these are our awesomes of the week this week. You know, every week we love to hear what is awesome in your life. Like I was just saying at the top of the show, we definitely do that on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And it's become a long held tradition that we do this every week in the Sorta Awesome Hangout group. So if you have not come and joined our community over on Facebook, we'd love to have you there where we talk awesomes of the week every Friday. And we are over there at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. Hey Awesomes, it's November and that means many of us are getting ready to pack our bags for our first big trips of the holiday season. As you are packing this holiday season wherever your travels may take you, I hope you're reaching for your away bag. I've told you guys so many times, I absolutely love my carry-on from Away. The team at Away set out to make the perfect luggage. They asked thousands of travelers what their biggest travel nightmares were and they created a bag to solve all of those problems. Away bags are made with premium German polycarbonate. It's so strong and impact resistant, perfect for people who can be a little klutzy like myself. But you guys, it's also incredibly lightweight. You can carry it up and down the stairs with ease and it is a breeze to get through the airport. Speaking of the airport, there's a TSA approved combination lock built right into the top of the bag and the inside of the bag features a patent pending compression system helpful for any level of overpacker. My very favorite thing about away bags is how they can charge all of your cell phones your tablets your e-readers anything that's powered by a usb cord while you travel and there's free shipping on any away order within the lower 48 states it's the perfect time of year to go ahead and get yourself an away bag or pick one up as a gift for your favorite traveler in your life for 20 dollars off of a suitcase visit awaytravel.com awesome and use promo code awesome during checkout again that's 20 dollars off an away bag when you go to awaytravel.com awesome and use promo code awesome during checkout Okay, so a little bit of backstory before we dig into our first favorites from all of pop culture. I'm going to tell you, Awesomes, a story that I actually shared on stage back at the 2017 podcast Dallas live show that you and Jamie were kind (laughs) enough to ask me to come and be a part of. It was so fun. I loved every minute of it. And you were such a good sport. You had to get ready in a broom closet with no lighting (laughs) or air. And you did it and you didn't even complain. (laughs) That is an absolutely true story. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I kind of forgot about that until this moment. Oh no. It was so fun. I wake up at night thinking about that, (laughs) thinking of all the things we put our guests through. So I hold that in my heart. Well, as I shared with the audience, then this is a true confession. When the podcast first came across my radar, I literally could not listen to it because I was so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was so jealous of what you and Jamie had done because I had had this podcast idea floating around in my mind about pop culture for ages. Well, I never took action on it and I will be gun. but what you guys did, and obviously you did the thing that was meant to be because people, you know, obviously are 
totally into what you guys are doing with the podcast, but it took me a long time. And then finally I was like, okay, listen, I'm never going to do a podcast about pop <laughs> culture. I guess I could listen to this one. And of course, immediately was like huge number one, super fan. Well, and I think we said this on stage, probably you heard us and you're like, man, I didn't get to do it. And these bozos are not even doing a good job. This is a double offense to me. I'm so upset. But you're too kind to say that. And I appreciate it. <laughs> really and truly talking about pop culture is really one of my very, very favorite things to do in real life, especially I am often just asking people like, if there's a little lull in the conversation, I will be the person who's like, so what have you watched on Netflix lately? What's good at the movies? I will just straight oh, up ask it. people that. And, you know, we can fall down all kinds of rabbit holes in conversation when we start to talk about pop culture. So one thing that I really do love to ask people and I think is so fascinating and so kind of informative about who people are is what their first favorite things were as they look back on their childhood and their adolescence. And Knox, I think you may well agree with me because you wrote an entire book about that. <laughs> <laughs> It's been really interesting too, and I'm sure you've seen this with your kids, Knox, as my children get older, and even my five and a half year old twins, they also already have their very definite favorite things. It's so interesting to look at your kids. They do. It's kind of like one of those moments where you really do start to realize, oh my gosh, they're like real people who, like they have their own favorites. It's such a huge Yeah, it's like that first quirk you see in your kid and you're like, oh, wow, they like that character for a super weird reason. And that's strange, but I like that they do because it's the sprout of something, you know, like it's a really interesting thing. And I'm super fascinated with this whole on-demand generation of like, you get to curate it yourself, but you don't even know what you're curating yet. I don't envy that. I kind of prefer how we grew up. Whereas like, we just kind of had to take it how they gave That's it to us. Absolutely you know? true. I mean, I even, my most formative, like early childhood years, there wasn't even cable. Like mm. Nickelodeon coming into our lives when I was probably in third, fourth grade, that was like one of the first like cable TV experiences that we had prior to that. I mean, you literally were limited to like Saturday morning cartoons. And That's exactly yeah. it. That sounds crazy to say. Like we sound like we're a million years old. <laughs> that was like... Saturday for two hours, we got cartoons. We got like four cartoons. Can you imagine kids like right now sitting through that? That's incredible. No, I know. So we thought it would be really fun to kind of take a walk down memory lane and look back on and talk about what were some of our favorite things, my favorite things, Knox's favorite things from childhood and adolescence. So let's start with one. I love this. I love when this kind of topic comes up on the podcast when you and Jamie are talking about kind of things that make you cry, whether it's a movie or a book or whatever. So I'm super curious about Knox, what was like your first wave in all of pop culture, the thing that you can remember that it was like really moving. I don't know, maybe you cried, maybe you didn't, but like really emotionally impactful for you. I love that. Not to put too fine of a point on it, but I think that's such a smart thing to ask people because like your favorite things in pop culture or like the things that make you cry. I think that is such a great shorthand to get to mm. know someone. And I think we are raised or we are, I don't know, it's positioned that that's Mm. bad, but it's like, that's a language we all speak and maybe not all of it's great. I totally accept that, but some of it's actually really good. And some of it brings us together and some of it covers territory that we wouldn't feel comfortable bringing up ourselves. So I love, obviously I'm biased, but I love pop culture for that exact reason. But even to this specific question, like I was a very tender child. I was very sensitive Mm -hmm. and I loved dogs. And you'll see that in the book. And I swear this isn't going to be a like, well, in the book, I did this. <laughs> I'm not going to do that the whole time. But like specifically this question, I loved yes. dogs. Like I'm such a dog. Are you a dog cat person mm, or neither? I'm more of a by nature cat person. I'm working on dogs okay. right now. I get it. I have my heart open to dogs. I'm trying. I appreciate your honesty. inclination though. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. You know what? You are who you are. That's right. Don't judge yourself. That's okay. <laughs> but see, I like, I grew up with dogs. My mom loved dogs. So she kind of gave that to me. I came across that naturally. So the first things that made me cry, it was 1989. I was seven. It was a traumatic year mm-hmm. because I watched All Dogs Go to Heaven <gasps> and Turner and Hooch. Oh. And I went into that. Look, you know, we didn't have, you know, advanced metrics on movies, right? We didn't know like the plot. <sighs> and my parents were like, well, the dogs won't die and all dogs go to heaven, even though it feels like in the name, feels, there is going to be a death. Ex- yeah, it feels like there's a big <laughs> you know clue I mean? right in the title. <laughs> I don't want to like criticize them. Okay. Cause you know, they were doing, doing their, best. their best, but then 
Like Turner and Hooch. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. And then like, spoiler alert, you know, they die in both. And I wept yes. like aggressively and loudly because I was a tender kid. So yes. Yeah. I've told this story a couple of times on sort of awesome, but we can't talk about dogs dying in pop culture without me mentioning that when I was a student teacher many years ago, I had to teach the book. Well, you know, lead a class of seventh graders through the book where the red fern grows. Oh, I had to, and I was reading it aloud to them and I had to take my teacher copy of the book home. In fact, I had to read it out loud to myself like five times to get through all of the crying so that I wouldn't oh, cry wow. in front of my kids when I was reading it. Because you don't want to be the teacher that is like openly <laughs> weeping. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I had never read it before. So my first read through of it, I was like, <gasps> dog death, dog death. There was no, I was unprepared for dog death at the end of this. So yeah. I love that's that. Tough. That's incredible. That's tough. I do love a book that does make me cry. And, you know, Jamie kind of talks about this on the podcast for people of our ENFP personality type. We kind of stay on the surface. We like that happier emotion, but sometimes we need to like dig in and have a total emotional catharsis, you know, and mm. just cry it out. She likes to do it with <laughs> heart-wrenching documentaries. I like for my <laughs> tears really to come from books. And the first one that really stands out to me is a truly traumatic moment with character death was Bridge to Terabithia. Oh my gosh. Yes. The Catherine Patterson book. I had to look this up. I didn't realize how old this book is. It was written in 1977, the very year I was born. Wow. Was it really? Yes. It was a 1978 Newbery Award winner book. So I read this in, I don't know, middle elementary years, probably fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there. So, you know, highly formative time. Mm -hmm. Quick reminder, if you've not read the book or there was a movie adaptation, I feel like maybe in the past 10-ish years, there was a movie of this. I didn't see it. But anyway, it tells the story of Jess Aarons, our protagonist, and his best friend, Leslie Burke, and how they escape kind of, you know, just like the slings and arrows of day-to-day -day life as a kid by building this imaginary kingdom, a little like secret sanctuary that they decide to name Terabithia. It's a beautiful childhood story, but as most of you know, which spoiler, a 41-year-old spoiler here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, watch out, watch out. Come on now. <laughs> I, know, I know, I'm a monster. Near the end of the book, Leslie dies. She is trying to cross the creek to get into Terabithia on her own. She falls into the creek and drowns. This, Knox, is the first book that made me, I can remember, putting my head down on my desk in class and just like heaving sobs, you know, like the uncontrollable. Oh, listen, I was there too. I did that as well. I feel like you were kind of blasting me right now because you're bringing up all these things I'm crying about. This was, I guess I was 10 when I read this in fourth grade, just like you and reading it. Like I've never been a good anticipator of stuff like, right. oh, I know where this is going. Yes, yes. So I was just reading this, just like yep. plowing through and just like, this is a great story. And yeah. I feel like I remember, isn't the death like off page? It's almost yes. like. Like he was away like at a museum and he comes home and finds out that she died while he was gone. And I remember rereading that like six times and then yes. doing the exact same thing. And Miss yes. Brewster being like, Knox, are you, are you okay? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, my world's just been ruined. My innocence has been lost. Other than that, I'm great though. I will never be okay again, but thanks for asking. <laughs> But truly, you know, I can remember, I was thinking like, is this the first like really emotional, devastating book? Because I think lots of us might remember Charlotte's Web maybe came earlier. So I was kind of thinking about now Charlotte's death is difficult, but first of all, it's kind of natural. She's old. She's lived to the end of her spider life. Mm. And also she's a spider. She's a spider. <laughs> there it is. You hit it. I'm yeah. arachnophobic. So I'm like, well, I don't know. You shouldn't have wasted your time on a pig, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. So Bridge to Terabithia was the first time that I was introduced, you know, kind of like as a kid, like, oh my gosh, terrible things can happen. Kids can die. Also, <laughs> just like the main character of a thing can die. And I do think, I mean, I know we were kind of laughing about it, but in a sense, like after that, once you have that traumatic, like, oh my gosh, a main character can die. That's a thing. Yeah. Then you do start to build up that like sort of wariness of like, okay, is someone going to die in here? <laughs> I don't know. Who's going to die? That's a great point. And I've never thought about it like that because to me, I always ascribe that to ninth grade when I read a separate piece. Oh, right, and I think right, right, Finney right. dies. Yes. And that was the first time where that registered. But well, maybe it's just a testament to my lack of intelligence of like, 
that happening and me not registering that. Maybe yeah. it was just so traumatic that I was like, I'm yeah. just not going to process any of this and just put it away. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend like that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so I cannot wait to hear from you, Awesomes, the first thing in pop culture. It's kind of weird to say it was my favorite thing that made me cry, but the mm. first time you can really remember like emotional devastation, we want to sit with you in your sadness over that. Okay, next on the list. We just celebrated Halloween, so kind of spooky, scary stuff was on my mind, Knox. I'm wondering, as you think back, what was your first, like, let's just call it supernatural fave in pop culture? Okay, this one, you brought up Nickelodeon earlier, and this yeah. kind of right at home within that Nickelodeon okay. universe. It's like that. I would always watch Nickelodeon, like, after church. We'd watch, like, Clarissa Explains It All, you know, oh, yeah. do that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Eat lunch, like, on a towel in front of the TV. But this was, like, <laughs> Saturday night, you know, like, after dark stuff. Like, this oh, little scarier vibe yeah. going on. So it yes. was always, are you afraid of the dark? And then eerie mm-hmm. Indiana, like that complete block of time was just, gotcha. it horrified me. It scared me, but it wasn't too much to where like it changed me as a person, you know, but right. it was like, okay, yeah. I like the amount of scare you put. It wasn't yes. too much. Yes. Okay. So you're a little bit younger than me. So I know that era of Nickelodeon you're talking about, that was like my youngest sister's era. So mm-hmm. I kind of am familiar background wise. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like just the right amount of spooky, mm-hmm. but nothing gory. That's then, a good word. Spooky. Yeah. That's the perfect word for it. Enough to get you there, but not take you over the line. Right. Right. So some of my first favorites in this realm, I have to give a shout out to the original Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, series. that's so good. <laughs> I got these in our, you know, just like school library. And again, this is elementary years for me. I do love to be scared until it's like bedtime, of course. Oh, yeah. And I was one of those kids who I couldn't sleep in the same room with a scary book. I'd have to put it like in my backpack (laughs) by the front door and then I could go to bed because just maybe the book was haunted itself. But I loved those because they were, I mean, they really drew on some pretty universal like urban legend type of stories. You know, the woman with the velvet ribbon around her neck. That as it turns out, if she takes the ribbon off, her head falls off. Do you remember this? I do. The <laughs> one that really stuck out was there, were there worms in an eye socket? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I remember checking out that book before we go on vacation, you know, like right. before spring break, and then just reading it like in the car and just like oh, really yes. terrifying myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. And those were, again, just like spooky, like ghost stories. I love those. But truly, like probably my first, I felt at the time a little bit more grown up supernatural favorite was the movie adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ooh, okay. I have a long time affection for and fascination with vampire mythology. (laughs) I feel like we need to spend like an entire episode there. (laughs) We just need to really lean in on that. Really explore that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking about it probably more than I should here. I don't know what it is about vampire stuff. I don't know. It's just, you know, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. I'm just going to own like, it's just part of who I am. I don't know. Mm. I like vampire stuff. Okay. This was a 1992 Francis Ford Coppola film. It stars Gary Oldman as Dracula. In fact, I'm just going to take a little walk through the cast of this 1992 okay. Love film. It. We had Winona Ryder as Mina Murray, Sir Anthony Hopkins as Professor Abraham Van Helsing, most notably Keanu Reeves as Jonathan Harker. Carrie Elways is in this, Billy Campbell, Tom Waits. I mean. Because obviously Gary Oldman, like it's his movie, right? Yes. But like beyond that, is it Winona Ryder's movie? Is it Keanu Reeves' movie? Keanu Reeves' movie. You think so? He is in the height of his Keanu-ness. I feel like this is probably in the same era as like Point Break. He was like trying to be a grown up serious actor. Remind me because it's been a while since I've seen it. This took place in England. I feel like yes. I remember. Yes, it does. Did he bring that Cali bro accent to England when he did this? I feel like he has a really terrible British accent. Oh, I love it. I love that. He should never do accent work ever. He shouldn't. I think every movie he's in, it should just be like, oh, here's my friend from California. Yes. Like, and that's the exposition. And that's perfect. <laughs> yes. And you know what, though? He may have been an American. It has been a hot minute since I have watched this movie. So I cannot exactly remember. But I do remember him being at, like, peak Keanu in mm-hmm. this movie. But this was the first supernatural pop culture thing that was, like, 
dark, but also really gorgeous and very, very gothic. So 1992, I was a freshman in high school. Again, it felt kind of grown up and sexy, and it was just the right amount of like disturbing Mm. and a little bit gory, but without being like, you know, a full on bloody slasher movie kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Did you ever watch The Witches? Mm. It was with Angelica Houston. It was like the Roald Dahl book. It was like no, a movie I don't adaptation. Think I have. I oh don't man, think that I have was it. one. This sounds like right up my alley. <laughs> and it was aimed at like a younger audience. Like Rowan Atkinson was in it. Okay. And it was all these like normal looking people. And then at one point they ripped their faces off and they're ugly, toady looking witches. Yeah. And it, I remember it running like on television, which what in the world? Why would you let that run on television so a kid could see it back then? I know, right? It was a different time. It was. It, it was. was a different time back then. So anyway, again, so looking forward to, especially since we just put Halloween in the books, I would love to hear from you awesomes on what some of your favorite early spooky things were. I still love spooky things, although Netflix has that new one. Is it The Haunting? Like House on Haunted Hill or Hill yes, House or Haunted. Hill House and Haunted are all like that alliteration is happening. It's Can't there. remember the title. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched the trailer for it and I was like, I don't know, that looks too spooky for me. <laughs> I made it 40 seconds into the trailer and I was like, pass. <laughs> I'm not interested. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's move on. I included this one for you because I feel like this is more of a genre that young men were into and still are in a lot of cases. Let's talk first favorite video game because oh, we kind of grew up in a golden age of home gaming systems and. I mean, even though I'm a little bit older than you, we've seen like this whole evolution of what it means to play video games at home. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on your first video game favorite. We really were in the golden age. And I know like it's almost too easy now for kids to play. Like I watched myself play Fortnite and it's like everything I built my whole life towards, you know, like it it crescendoed in college with Halo where like we would bring people over in Xboxes and have TVs in rooms that shouldn't have had TVs and Cat5 cables. Like we worked so hard. And they just turn on a machine and all their friends from all over the world are there. And it's kind of frustrating, but whatever, like that's fine technology. But I was all in the Marios, one, two, and three. Mm. I was in a Mega Man and I I just said it, but Halo, like Halo was in high school. I didn't play video games, Mm -hmm. but in college I got into video games. I got into Grand Theft Auto. I almost skipped a final for one of my English (laughs) lit classes because I was like, I'm on a run here on GTA. Can I afford to flunk my final and still pass? That was actually right. some math I was doing in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, but it was, it was a good run. So <laughs> it's been a minute since I have been into video games. I don't even put games on my phone, Knox, because I cannot trust myself. Like I'm mm-hmm. either all in or I'm not in at all on 100%. stuff like this. So I'm not video game. And here's another thing pro tip as a mom. If you don't learn how to play the video game, you don't get roped into playing the video game. Exactly right. With the kids. I learned this hardcore during the big Minecraft era. That was like right in the sweet spot of my girls' like childhood. It was all Minecraft all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is too hard for mom. I can't do it. Listen, because my son did it and I was like, the pic is so pixelated. This isn't even clear. (laughs) And how are we fighting? And there's shadows like. And lava, I don't like this. This isn't even good enough for me. Like, I'm out. Totally, totally. So, yeah, I don't do video games now. But I remember in an Into Our Home, this was like a milestone moment in my growing up years. We had the first Nintendo Entertainment System that Mm. came into our home with, you know, Super Mario Brothers and all of the things. And I was thinking, what was my favorite back then? And I have to say, it was the original Legend of Zelda. Oh, I got down with some Zelda. That's good stuff. Yes. And I was kind of going back and thinking about what was it that I loved about this game? I remember my brother and I, he's three years younger than me. We especially, we would just take turns and play and play and play for hours. We both really loved it. And I think there's a couple of things. First of all, for anybody who likes music, which I do love, it has a gorgeous background score like the music is beautiful even back in those days like in the earliest versions i feel like and i'm sure as the zelda universe is that a thing it is now let's go yeah Yeah, Yeah. of course (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure as time and technology have progressed i'm sure it still has beautiful music but i can remember even in the original version the music being really enchanting but i really feel like i liked the Legend of Zelda, because it is that classic good versus evil quest mm-hmm. game. I mean, I think the quest is 
I mean, it's an archetype for a reason because like humans are so drawn to that. And so to take that quest, that good versus evil, to have this like silent stoic link as your main protagonist and send him on quest. And I feel like it was also fun too. Correct me if I'm not remembering correctly. It feels like there was like side adventures you could kind of go off and do in the midst of your big quest. I don't know. I feel like there were characters who would just kind of be hovering and you'd be like, I think I need to go talk to them. And they'd be like, hey, you want to get like a special sword on your quest? Well, you got to do this thing for me first. And I love that too. It was kind of that open world feel of I can do my thing, but also some other side things as well. Exactly. It was kind of for people of a, a certain age may remember like the choose your own adventure. Mm. or choose your own ending kind of books, you could, you know, there was all these different things that could happen along the way. Listen, that you're taking me back. That's like, you got the Joseph Campbell hero's yes. journey, Thank right? You. Yes. In a right. video game with an awesome score. Maybe you go to Blockbuster, ran it, get some pizza. That's, That's a weekend. Right. That's yes. a kid's weekend right there. <laughs> Thank you for affirming my, <laughs> my video game choice. I, I feel very good about that. Okay. Let's go in. I feel I'm going to probably be a little cringy as I discuss myself in this next mm. era, but okay. let's talk about the first favorite that we had in pop culture that we thought was kind of alternative, like maybe okay. we were being a little bit edgy, a little bit mysterious, maybe in terms of like, not everybody, maybe we were like trying to be early hipsters. Nobody knows about this, but. Oh, I love it. It's awesome. Yes. That's just a hallmark of being a teenager, right? Yeah, like yeah. just seeing how everyone's zigging. And be like, no, I think I'm a zag. Exactly. And the, that zag just being so terrible. So mine's firmly like folded into Christianity, like specifically our youth group. Like I saw everyone being like, I don't know, Carmen, you know, like yes. uh, mm-hmm. audio adrenaline. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm into POD though. So I'm just a little edgier than everybody else. I'm into Project 86. Uh-huh. They scream a little bit, but they still love Jesus. So yes. it's cool. So I went through an entire phase where I thought, yeah, this is going to be my life. I'm going to do music. I'm going to like do those like yelly hip hop rap. You know, yep. it was kind of like Limp Biscuit adjacent. And I just died inside saying that out loud. <laughs> like I did. I just died. Like we just have a funeral right now for that part of me. But it led to me. It was like I was actually this is a very this is a huge cliche. I was in a band in high school. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we had one gig. We called ourselves Captain Ahab, which I actually love that name. I'm, I'm a big fan of that name. That is a fantastic band name. Let's all. It's not terrible, especially for like a youth group oriented one. We did one gig and we did one song and it was the Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks. But we Mm, adapted it and turned it into We Tipped the Cows. Okay, it was was (laughs) was right there at home in that hillbilly dialect sensibility you were talking about earlier. I love it. And that is priceless. I'm going to treasure (laughs) that answer forever. (laughs) I wish I could say that mine was, you know, sort of like incorporated the Christianity part of my life. I will have to confess, though, that my first alternative faves like took a hard left away from. Okay, I love it. So I was deeply entrenched in evangelical youth culture at the time. Mm -hmm. I had a boyfriend. He and I were like on the leadership council and he was super into music. He played the guitar. and Oh, yeah. So his best friend introduced me to the original album from the violent femmes okay yeah everybody everybody knows blister in the sun (laughs) right (laughs) blister in the sun i don't know if it's still being played at high school dances but if it's not then that is a dadgum shame because (laughs) 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 it is the best to be experienced in a group So that song, Blister in the Sun, came from the 1983 self-titled Violent Femmes album. It's called Violent Femmes. So I don't know. He probably handed this off to me just like in passing as a Mm. cassette tape. (laughs) Of course. Yes. Back in the day. Yes, exactly. We thought we were so alternative, so grungy, so edgy that we were into this punk 1983 album. Of course, this is like, you know, 1994. So, I mean, we weren't reaching that far back. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually do still love that whole album. It is hilarious to me how very alternative I thought it was. We had in my little small hometown that's right on the border between Oklahoma and Texas, we got this station in our high school 
94.5 The Edge. It was like alternative rock. Okay. And at the time, it felt like, oh my gosh, again, we're so alternative. Now, looking back as an adult, I know it was probably totally corporate, like corporate owned and <laughs> there oh, was yeah. nothing like independent about it. But again, we thought we were super alternative. But, but then- it was alternative to you, right? Yes. So that matters. Yes. See, like, it's okay. It's fine. So I went, I had a Rage Against the Machine phase. That was yeah. after I like gotten a little disillusioned with my youth group and I really yeah. needed to rebel. Yes. I was like, now I'm truly alternative. That and is very rebellious. <laughs> yeah. So hardcore. Yeah. I love that album. Blister in the Sun, of course, is fantastic, but there's some other songs I still love on there. Like, Please Do Not Go and Gone Daddy Gone. And I don't know. That album actually does hold up. Okay. I'm here to testify. So do you like, cause I've got albums like that, like specifically associated to certain time periods that I yeah. treasure. Like that I yeah, see yeah, is yeah. like, this was so oh, yeah. important to me in my personal development. Like it's Incubus. Right. Okay. I remember listening to them when I went to college and just being like, this is everything yep. I want it to be. Is that so like when you evaluate that music, do you think this is authentically good or just like it's so perfectly nostalgic for me okay. that it doesn't have yeah. to be good? I just like it. You know, that is perfect because I genuinely, I will stand by my opinion that that 1983 Violet Femmes album is authentically good. I do have another album that I've held close to my heart forever. And that's Matchbox 20's Yourself or Someone Like You. Okay. Wow. Matchbox 20. I love that you said that. I love that so much right now. Yeah. I will say this. It probably does not hold up over time. (laughs) 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 I'm a little embarrassed maybe to go back and listen to. I don't know. I still think the song Push is fantastic. But that album, for me, again, that was early college for me. I had that on CD. I had like a boombox style, like, shelf top stereo in my dorm room oh wow i mean it would just play on loop all the time i'd leave it playing while i was in class come home it'd still be playing i love it that's so good that cd was early college for me and again i cannot go out on a limb and say that it's held up over the years (laughs) but i did the nostalgia factor is there for sure right and like on a personal level that just matters more like who cares yeah like morning view by incubus i feel like it's a good album i don't know like i can't even get the distance to evaluate it because I just think about it in those terms. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Hey, Hossums. We are full steam ahead into fall. I hope you have found the perfect booty to take you through this season and on into the winter. If you're looking at your closet, though, and wondering what exactly you're going to wear to all of the holiday gatherings and family events coming up, and not to mention those fancy office parties, I have to tell you, you gotta head over to Shoe Dazzle. At Shoe Dazzle, you can shop all of the hottest trends without breaking the bank, and you save 30% off of retail as a Shoe Dazzle VIP. Shoe Dazzle is the club for the shoe obsessed, but it's not just shoes. Millions of women say Shoe Dazzle is their one-stop shop for all things trendy, including clothing, accessories, and handbags. So whether it's boots, booties, sweaters, jeans, whatever you're looking for, Shoe Dazzle has everything you need for fall and winter. You can shop as a guest or become a VIP. And let me tell you, VIP membership is by far the best way to go. VIPs like me save 30% off of most retail prices all day, every day. Plus you get free shipping and returns. And we have access to tons of other exclusive sales and perks. Now, when you visit the site for the first time, you're given a style quiz so Shoe Dazzle can personalize your your shopping experience. Don't forget to select VIP membership at checkout. It's a flexible membership. Each month you can choose if you're going to shop or skip. Shoe Dazzle releases hot new styles every week, so you will never wonder what should I wear again. And so guess what? If you go to shoedazzle.com slash awesome now and sign up as a VIP, you're going to get 50% off of your first order. So awesome. That's shoedazzle.com slash awesome to get half off of everything on the site. Do it today. The hottest styles always sell out fast. Shoedazzle.com slash awesome. All right, Knox, let's round out this list with something that I know you do love to talk about, but maybe don't get to talk about on the podcast or the Bible binge as much as you might like to. And that's sports. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. What was your first? I mean, I think sports is kind of like pop culture adjacent. It's part of our collective enjoyment of entertainment in a lot of ways. So I'm putting this on the list and y'all can fight me if you think sports aren't part of pop culture. I think it's totally is, right? It's popular. <laughs> like the NFL is the, like when you look at the most popular telecasts, especially yeah. recently, you know, yeah. like you have like 
uh, whatever the Mary Tyler Moore show when we had two channels and like everybody had to watch it. And those numbers were incredible. But in modern terms, the Super Bowl, you know, yeah. NFL playoffs, it's always the most watched. So it certainly is popular. At least I'll say that. Like I'll hold on to that because I never get to talk about it All right. on Wednesdays or on Sundays, which is fine. Yeah. I'm working through that. I mean, that was such a huge part of my life. Like up until, I don't know, 10 years ago, I thought I was gonna be a sports writer, you know? Yeah. So like, yeah. it's a huge pivot for me to be doing what I'm doing. But probably the first thing that I loved, it was a Christmas gift. It was called the Franklin Electronics Big League Baseball Encyclopedia. And it was almost Ooh. like, I don't know, it's the size of an iPhone, but it had like a keyboard and I would read baseball books and then cross-reference the names that I read. And this thing, I could type in any name and it would tell me their statistical totals. Oh my gosh. So if you know anything about my like Enneagram type and my personality and all that, uh, like this was like crack cocaine because I could just you're deep dive You're an Enneagram 5, right? I am an Enneagram 5, yeah. Okay, and like perfect. I just crave learning. I'm like a computer on learning mode. And I'm like, just give me more stats. Give me things to just like program into my brain. So I would just read this for hours and just memorize statistical totals, who had the most home runs, who had the most RBIs, all this stuff. And I loved it so, so very much. That is fantastic. Something I've always been fascinated by when it comes to baseball and fans of baseball is the stats thing. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just so interesting and fascinating. That's not in my brain to like seek out that information or to memorize it. Although I do suppose I do have a kind of correlation in my life. I feel that way about personality stuff. Like if I ever have met you and I know your Myers-Briggs type, your Enneagram type, I will remember it forever. I can't unload that from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I get that. I really do. But it's just so fascinating to me, the stats in baseball connection. So I love that there was like a little, like a magical device that you could use that would just bring up all of the stats that you needed to know. It's amazing. It was the greatest thing ever. And baseball is specifically statistically obsessed for some mm -hmm. reason. I don't know if it's because the games are so long and slow that you have to have something else to talk about because they are long and slow. But um, it was just so perfectly at home, like with my personality as a kid. So yeah, that is fantastic. Oh, I love it. Okay, well, mine is the first thing I can really remember loving and having a favorite thing in sports is and still to this day, college football rivalries. Love it. I grew up sort of in the shadow of the great and storied rivalry between the University of Texas and Texas A&M. We're talking about Red River Shootout territory. Are you in Red River Shootout territory? We're in Red River Shootout now. That's the OU Texas okay. rivalry. This is the in-state UT A&M rivalry. I come from a long line of Texas Aggies, although my dad broke the tradition in his family and went to a different state school in Texas. But before that, everybody, all the Aggies on my dad's side of the family, in fact, this rivalry is so intense. I mean, the Texas Aggies fight song, War Hymn, whatever they call, it's kind of built around their rivalry with the University of Texas, which I think is hilarious. My grandfather, my dad's dad, they lived in Corpus Christi, which is down on the Texas coast. Anytime they had to go anywhere in the state of Texas, which is like, you know, driving through a country itself, he would drive all the way around Austin. He would never let his car go into Austin city limits because wow. he hated Austin and the University of Texas so much. And I think that's probably why it's my first favorite when it comes to sports that people, I don't know, I don't have that. The schools that I went to, there's just like not that intensity, but that people could be so passionate and so zealous and so like ride or die totally to the maximum about their school affiliation and their loyalty to their school. I don't know. I just love it. There's nothing I love more than the rivalries and the aggressively stupid rivalry trophies, like the yes. big baby, <laughs> whatever. And like the team wins and they go and storm the sideline and take it away. Yes. I love that. Listen, I got down with some RC Slocum back in the day for Texas yes. A&M. So you're an Aggie. You're an Aggie fan? I mean, I, I honestly, if I'm picking Texas teams, I'm a TCU fan because my husband coached there for Four years. So I'm Horn Frogs. And, and so their rivalry is with SMU, which is not on the same level, but they do have a little bit of a rivalry. But see, TC, they're in that strange place of like, they're good enough, but like, yeah. they're not old money good. Right. So like, no one respects yeah. them. Right, but right, Gary right. Patterson, like, he knows what's up. Yeah, and he's he kind of killing all the other coaches right now. That's super interesting. I grew up in the shadow of uh, University of Tennessee, and I hated 
orange and the obnoxious fans. So <laughs> naturally my personality is to be objective and to not be like a homer. So yes. that really like worked on me, but I'm fascinated in people who yeah. are like just ride or die. It's not in a judging way. It's just like, wow, like I love that you're that invested in that team in that yes. like Jersey. I'm the same way to this day. If it's a rivalry, I'm like, Ooh, this is exciting. Even if I don't have a dog in the fight, I don't even care. I just love the thing that there's a rivalry. I think it's that's so exactly fun. right. Cause I call <laughs> myself like a sports agnostic. Like I love sports yeah. and I know like that kind of favoritism exists, but I don't have it. So I just yes. like watching the stories and the rivalries and the drama and yeah. kind of rooting for that part of it. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Totally. This has been so fun. I have loved hearing all of your first favorites. Awesome. I cannot wait to hear y'all's first favorites. But before we wrap up, we have to talk about the book. Let's just start with kind of like a general question. I'm sure you've answered a million times in the lead up to Wondering <laughs> Years being released. But like, where did the idea come from? How did this come into being? How did it come into the world? You know, I think, and the book talks about this ever since I was a kid, like, you know, I believed in God, but like I had lots of questions and very mm -hmm. early I realized there was a tension there of belief and question, you know? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I very quickly understood that like the traditional ways people access God and intersect with God and how I was expected to, like that didn't work for me. And I yeah. felt myself being drawn over to pop culture, like books and movies yeah. and TV shows. I mean, just like we all are. Right. But I had the unique situation of like being able to relate God to those things, you know? And I firmly believe that I think we all have different things in our hearts that, you know, we hide away and not even that there's a component of shame, but it's just not God ordained or church ordained or whatever we believe in, whatever our faith system ordained. But like that is a way where we do access that supernatural or that divine. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so for me, it was like movies. Like I'd see a character and I would feel something and it would match like a spiritual resonance I was having. So that book has always kind of been festering inside. And, you know, I think... And this is something I'm really interested in talking about your journey. You know, it was after writing this book that I was listening to interviews and I was listening to people talk about the idea of like a spiritual midlife crisis or spiritual mm. reconstruction. And it was like, you grow your whole life and you live your whole life and people kind of say, this is what you should do. Here's how you should believe. Yeah. No one really explains why. It's just you put on the armor of like, yeah, here's what my life is. And then I think invariably we all get to a point where we're like, Okay, so like, what is all this? Like, what do I think about this? How do I reconcile these things? You know, so it's so like specifically to you, like what? And then I don't want you to belabor it because I'm, I'm sure you've talked about it, you know, at length in, in many different ways. But like, what was it that was really driving you and motivating you and like your pursuit of Catholicism? Okay, I believe firmly there are many doors to the Catholic Church for my husband. It was totally like an intellectual. He's an Enneagram 5-2. Okay. A very intellectual door. My door was the door of mysticism and mystery. And so what I grew up with in evangelical Christianity, by the way, y'all didn't know we were taking this turn on this episode <laughs> today, but here we are. <laughs> but I'm happy to talk about it. I grew up in a context of Christianity where there was, I mean, there was a mystery in the sense of like, we believe in a resurrected Lord. I mean, that's kind of supernatural, right? Mm -hmm. We can all agree Absolutely. on that. But for everything else, for every question, there was a solid definitive answer. Well, this is this because this. And so I have always been like, but what if miracles still happened? Mm. Like, what if, and for me, the defining moment was coming to believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And so like exploring that idea, what if when Jesus said, this is my body, if you want to have eternal life, you have to eat my flesh. Like, what would it look like? How could mm. that be? Why would he say something like that? What would it look like if that were true? And I personally found that completely miraculous, mysterious, supernatural question to be answered in the ancient beliefs going back to, you know, the earliest church fathers. I was like, oh, this is where... I can begin to not even like really make sense of it because a lot of Catholicism is actually not about making sense of things. <laughs> I mean, it's highly intellectual and highly reasonable, but also is very honoring of mystery. I think that speaks to a lot of my conflict of like, you know, I had questions and there were answers and some of those answers didn't feel, they felt like brush offs yeah. instead yeah, yeah. of just embracing, like letting the mystery be. Right. And I think there's so much beauty and transcendence there. And that's okay. And I think, you know, specifically the last chapter of my book is a lot about this of like coming, of finally rectifying things and being like, no, God, I've got you figured out. Like, 
you know, the last chapter is about my dad getting cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And me being like, okay, God, so I'm not mad that you gave him cancer because I know bad things happen. Mm -hmm. But like, why did it go down like this? And what does that mean about you? And reaching a conclusion of God just being like, hey, man, I'm God. You're not. So you're not going to know. and You need to be okay with that. But there's this compulsion of being like, no, I have to know where dinosaurs fit into the Bible. I have to know, (laughs) was it a virgin birth? I have to know, was Jonah really in the whale? Was that a metaphor? I have to know all these things. You do not. I don't think you do. You know, and like, that's what spoke (laughs) to me about it. So I love that that's what drove you. But I think even more, I love that you got to a point and you're like, no, like my soul feels something. Oh, yeah. And I have to reconcile with myself because I know Paul says, I got to work out my own salvation. And I don't think that means like, you know, just everybody do their own thing and like figure it out. Like, I think it's actually like, when you really look at the scripture, it's merited more like in a togetherness of the church. Yeah. But I think there is an aspect of that, of being like, you take responsibility for what you believe in a yes. certain way, of course, and like abiding by certain things, of course, but you can't just fold yourself in and disappear. And that's what I was doing. And I don't know mm. if that's what you felt, oh, but yeah. it was like, you're just kind of tapping out and being like, yeah, yeah, the, uh, you know, that thing, yeah, the other thing, I believe those, I don't really know why, but let's just check that box and move on. Cause I'm just tired of this, you know? Right. Oh, I totally get it. I do. You can just go into autopilot and just be like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I always say this about Catholicism that to me, and I'm a big word picture person, you know, being an English major and all of that. But to mm-hmm. me, Catholicism is like a beautiful, like deep, deep well of water that you can like dive down as far as you want to and kind of hang out there for a while. And then if you want to go a little deeper, you can keep going and you just can keep diving deeper and deeper. Or if you are at a place where you're like, I'm tired of wrestling this out, you can just kind of rest in it too, you know? And I think there's a flexibility in that, that I don't Mm -hmm. think we allow ourselves, or maybe that's not naturally built in. But I think, I don't know, maybe it speaks to the seasonality of faith and God being like, Hey, like you're going through something in your life right now. And it's okay to be here. Yeah, It's not always okay to be here for the rest of your life, but this is great. You can rest in this for a minute, but the next season, maybe you need to dive deep. Maybe you need to serve more. Maybe you need to think more. Maybe you need to imagine some things. Maybe you have to like hold some things to the fire. I think I like a faith that's flexible in that way. And I like a God who's like, you got a question? Let's talk. I'm not scared because A, I'm God. And B, I like dialogue. I like that we get to talk. I'm not afraid of your questions because you're a tiny little human, a tiny little brain, (laughs) and I'm a big old God. So I'm cool. Like, let's just talk. Yes. I love it. I really did not know we were going to go down this path, but it is making my whole day right now. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but like just knowing we were going to talk, I thought, I love. Yeah. Part of me thinks we were thinking and going through similar things at the same time. Cause yeah. I know, you know, just watching you like on, you know, social media, that's kind of more creepy than I thought, like than I wanted it to, but like, <laughs> you know, just observing you as a friend yes, <laughs> and seeing like where, you know, you were spit out, like on your journey, I thought, wow. Yeah. Like, I wonder, I wonder if we were like reconciling some things at the same time. And mm. I think that's really beautiful. Definitely. Definitely. Well, now it seems almost tacky, but we do need to get this. <laughs> we need to get this book promo into here at the end. But really, thank you, Knox. This was really good. And really, I loved all of this, this whole pop culture thing. I mean, genuinely could talk about this ad nauseum. So for this sure. has been so fun. Okay. So if we want to find The Wondering Years, where do we find it? So you go, go to thewonderingyearsbook.com and you can do two things. One, you can download the first chapter. It's about the first time I got punched in the face. So <laughs> I think it's fun. Nope. Even if you don't like me, you can read about me getting punched and that'll probably bring you some pleasure. So win-win for everybody. Or if you're more a listener, and if you're listening to podcasts, this might be right at home with you. You can still go to the wonderyearsbook.com and you can listen to the first two chapters completely free. Mm-hmm. You can just hear the first one is about the first time I got punched in the face. Second one is about Pee Wee Herman. And yep. I got tricked by my uncle. He told me he was Pee Wee Herman, even though he's aggressively <laughs> did not look like Pee Wee Herman. But I, I, as we've established, I'm a dumb kid. So it was like, you know, reconciling that first time I kind of got lied to and right. didn't realize I got lied to. Yeah. So you can listen there. You can read there. You can pre-order uh, and it'll be out in a few days. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be in all the places and it's going to be on book lists and all kinds of things, you guys. It's really fantastic. It's the intersection of all the things I love to talk about, how our faith forms us, how our pop culture forms us, how it all comes together. So well done, you, on your first book release. I can't wait to see what comes next, for sure. Okay, so for you, if we want to find you and follow up with you on social media and all of the places, remind everybody where we can find you, Knox, all around the web. Yeah, I'm at just at Knox McCoy on Instagram and Twitter. 
And then I've got a weekly newsletter I do on my website, knoxmccoy.com slash newsletter. It's called Sectional Healing that I send out. Just good reads, good pictures, good videos, stuff like that if you're interested in things like that. Perfect. Okay. As a reminder, you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us any time of the day or night on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.